Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today, it's just us. Finale. For the season two finale. Yes. This was a long season, Melissa. 22 episodes. Yeah, we did it. We're like a third of the way through. Yeah, with the 13 episode first season, that's 35 regular episodes of TV. And we did the movie episode. Look at all this content. That we just shat out. (laughs) (laughs) We're... Yeah, that's, I was going to do a different metaphor, but no, that's perfect. That's perfect. We've, we have, we've shouted out in your faces, everyone. <laughs> oh. Well, shall we dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. We're talking parenthood season two. I've never, I've never said it like that, but I'm going to keep it. We're talking parenthood season two, episode 22, hard times come again, no more. It was written by Jason Kadams, directed by Lawrence Drilling. It originally aired on April 19th, 2011. And here's the Hulu synopsis. Ooh. In a stunning season finale, the Bravermans <laughs> help Amber come to terms with her accident and attend the premiere of Sarah's play. The way that sentence is constructed, it kind of sounds like the Bravermans are helping Amber attend the play. <laughs> How bad yeah. is the play? Well, we get a little <laughs> glimpse. <laughs> we do get a glimpse. It's not great. No. <laughs> I didn't think. I didn't think it was great either. I mean, I oh. thought she wrote a play, not a multi-camera sitcom pilot that has zero chance of going to series. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And like, what exactly is Zeke doing there? <laughs> I mean, he seems great in the part, but... And I know he played Biff in Death of a Salesman in Vietnam or something, but (laughs) is he an actor? You know, we just, we still don't know what his job ever was. That's true. We don't. Maybe it was acting. (laughs) Maybe he was was on a soap. Maybe. That shot in Berkeley. (laughs) (laughs) He was in a, a soap from Vietnam. That's what it was. Oh. Yeah. Or maybe he was like the Bay Area Mr. Rogers. But like with a a temper. (laughs) Maybe. Um, I don't know. I just know that my favorite little throwaway joke was when Crosby leaned in to Camille and said, the guy playing dad doesn't look anything like dad. I just really enjoyed that. I thought that was lovely. I enjoyed all the like stuff that they were saying during the play. But I was like, oh, no, they're like chit chat is better than the dialogue Sarah wrote. That's not good. Yeah. The joke that I loved surrounding the play was when all the actors were suddenly so nice to Sarah and Gil said, I told them your daughter died. Oh, no. I actually hated that. I I thought thought you might, but I I did. (laughs) It cracked me up. I mean, I think it's a horrible thing to actually do. Yeah. But I thought it was a funny thing for him to say. (laughs) It would have worked just as well to tell the truth to just be like, her daughter was in a very serious car accident and she didn't mean to nitpick. You didn't have to say she died. <laughs> it made me laugh. <laughs> there was one aspect of the play, aside from it just not seeming very good, that really irked me. And that was the cliche of the temperamental actors. Mm. Like that one actor gets so offended by Sarah asking for a different tone on the line that he walks out and they all have to take a break and they're yelling at each other. And I just, you know, I work with actors all the time, often on readings. And yeah, actors do have their own little particular 
weirdnesses, I guess. <laughs> but especially in a reading like that where it's a new work and there is minimal rehearsal time, they are open and collaborative and ready to give anyone in charge what they want. Because if they don't do that, then they don't get asked to do them again. Yeah. It didn't ring true to me. And then it was like enforcing a stereotype that I think is unfair. That is a really good point. I didn't even think of that. What I thought of was I just kept trying to decide if Sarah should have said something or not. Because everyone acted like she was being so out of line. And I just kept thinking that she wasn't being out of line. Like, I didn't think she was saying it meanly. But I'm like, she wrote these words. You want to make sure that they don't rehearse them incorrectly. And I get that she's not the director. So maybe it's not her place. But I'm also, you know, a woman who has trouble standing up for herself sometimes. And and I will, <laughs> you and I were just talking off mic about this. I won't get into specifics, but sometimes I will get something that I don't necessarily want because I don't feel like I should speak up. I, you know, and so I just kind of sit back and let things happen. And then I might be displeased. And I'm like, well, good for Sarah for not doing that. She's saying what she wants, but then everyone's acting like she's being like this raging bitch or something. And I didn't think she was. So just that upset me on like almost a visceral personal level. I'm like, let her just say what she wants. It's good of her to do it. People, and I think especially women, don't do it very often. Yeah, I wanted Sarah to say what she wanted. She worked you know, hard, quote unquote, on that play. (laughs) She wrote it in one night and then was very resistant to, you know, feedback. So I don't know that she worked hard, but still. Yeah, I thought the actor should have been more open because I think that's how actors usually are. And at least in my experience, if the writer is in the room, they certainly are allowed a voice. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there is a skill, I think, to learning when to speak up and when not to but she certainly has the right to. I think one of them did make reference to like, they hadn't even read through the entire play yet. Then I might say, okay, Sarah, let them, he's not going to get stuck doing it the wrong way after one reading. That's a good point. But on principle, it's like, yeah, you can, you can say what you think. Yeah. Whatever. Who cares? I mean, I certainly (laughs) really don't. No. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever. Maybe. You know what? No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, maybe that's all we have to say about the play. (laughs) I I was going to add that when the music happened at the end of the play and Zeke was like, writer, writer, and like, you know, gesturing for her to come on stage and take a bow and the music was soaring. I, what did I write? I wrote something like this whole storyline is ridiculous, but I'm really, you know, happy for Sarah. In it this was moment. nice to see her get a round of applause. Yeah. L- literally. She, yeah. And she was just beaming. And it was a nice moment that didn't really involve a guy. I mean, they tried to shove a guy in there last week with Stephen Weber. And, Who and didn't Jill. even attend the play's reading. <laughs> right. At least that we maybe, saw. Yeah. Maybe he was there and just avoiding Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> that crazy woman, you know? <laughs> so Maybe it just shouldn't have been so clearly autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would also be interested <laughs> to know as if this were a real play. Like <laughs> she's making out with the mailman, and then suddenly all the family members are just there. And I'm yeah. assuming it's some theatrical device that they aren't literally in the right. room with her. So I'd be curious to know what is the theatrical device 
within the show because that might elevate the sitcominess of the material to something different, yeah. which is intriguing. And then like the last scene where it seemed like Barry played by Zeke was like <laughs> a radio announcer or something commenting on a baseball game. And then he wanted to talk about the mother <laughs> It also so seemed, sue me. It almost seemed like he had dementia or something the way she was just like, I love you, dad. Like, <laughs> oh, just humor this poor clueless fool. Although I guess that's <laughs> oh. how they treat Zeke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it just, the whole thing didn't quite click, did it? It felt very rushed. And it's just disappointing because I just think there could have been a lot of potential in Sarah as a writer. Yeah. You know, because if I'm right, this never comes back. She never writes another thing ever. Am I, I right? I feel like spoiler alert i feel like you like see her typing okay <laughs> like on a laptop and she's like oh i'm writing but they never say what and nothing ever comes from it Ugh. so it's it's like there are little traces residual traces of this <laughs> plot line but nothing actually happens all right. Well, you know, before we say goodbye to Richard Dreyfus forever. Um, you know, that was also kind of a waste of Richard Dreyfus, who I'm yeah. not like the hugest fan of Richard Dreyfus, but he is a talented actor and a, was a big get for them, I'm assuming. And he didn't have much to do. Prom? Oh, prom! <laughs> that was his pinnacle moment. It was. Before we say goodbye to him forever, I had this weird... <laughs> <laughs> Just it's repeated on me. Prom? Prom, prom, prom. It was like, um, I had a shower thought, which was so weird. But I was like, Gil was <gasps> Steve. Yeah, it was. It was I had Adam. the same thought. You did? Yeah. So like that was Steve Martin in the movie was Gil, and we kept calling Christina a Karen. Her character's name in the movie was literally Karen. <gasps> I forgot that. Maybe that was the inspiration to make her a Karen. <laughs> Maybe they're like, we need to get some Karenness up in here. But I, I just thought, how weird that we've used both of those names. Now, of course, only one of them was actually on the show. No one was actually calling Christina a Karen, and there was no right. other Karen. Although there was a Karen who was was licking the lollipop with Corey. Yeah, at that was TNS. a Karen. Yeah. So. You know, it was it was the lost retainer storyline in this episode yeah. that made me think of oh. Gil's kid, Kevin? Was it Kevin? Yeah. He lost yeah. his retainer in the movie. And it's like, this is definitely a nod to the movie because of oh, all yeah. the things he could lose. I mean, I even kind of had an issue with it because I thought, well, a retainer is what you wear after you've had braces. Max just turned 10 and we've never seen him with braces. As far as I know, you do not put kids that young in braces because they don't even have their, all their adult teeth yet. I mean, presumably we've seen Max from like the age of eight. Yeah. He wouldn't have had braces, so why does he have a retainer? And I suppose some people, if they just need slight adjustments, maybe they only wear a retainer. But Maybe. I was I went with it. I was thinking maybe there was something like that or maybe like a mouth guard, but I'm like, well. Yeah, but, but I did just go with I was yeah. like, well, it's because it's from the movie, so. Yeah. Oh, well. But then that made me think of, oh, it was Gil. And yeah, same thing. Oh, and Gil. Same thing. And then is that what Steve Martin's character was named was it gilliam and they just was he gilliam Gil? buckman <laughs> gilliam buckman i don't know is that what gil it i mean i would think gilbert ah uh, that's better yeah well why wasn't he gilbert t blount that would have been better <laughs> anyway <laughs> well, let's jump back a bit to the beginning of the episode first of all i just want to say a little like housekeeping 
Parenthood was renewed for a third season on May 12th, 2011. This aired, like we said, on April 19th. So they did not know that they were going to have a third season. I think at this point in time, odds seemed good that they would, but they didn't know for sure. So I just think that's nice to keep in mind. Oh, it definitely is. Also, fun fact, the uh, third season order was 16 episodes instead of 22. So they were bringing the number down. Now that order would later increase to 18. So season three is going to have 18 episodes. But at the time, they didn't know that. Also, this episode gets its title from a Stephen Foster song, which we hear a a cover of later in the episode, called Hard Times Come Again No More. And it was originally published in 1854. Whoa, really? 1854. That's fascinating. Yeah. Stephen Foster wrote, you know, Oh, Susanna, Camp Town Ladies, Beautiful Dreamer. I don't know any of those songs except for Oh, Susanna. You don't know Camp Town Ladies, Sing This Song, Do-Da, Do-Da. I didn't know it was called Camp Town Ladies Sing or This Camp song. Town Races. Camp Town Ra- I forget. I, or Beautiful Dreamer, Wake Under Thee. Oh, yeah. No, I know all of this. Keep singing to me. Way <laughs> down upon the Swanee River. Oh, okay. Uh, he was real popular in minstrel shows. Oh. And parlor songs, whatever that means. But Gosh. Yeah, a lot of them are uh, like eeks. But Hard Times Come Again No More, I don't believe, was an eeks. Okay, good to know. Well, I'm glad you brought up the whole thing about how they didn't know if they were being renewed when they made this episode, because that's something that always fascinated me about their season finales was like they had this finality to them because they all had to function as either, you know, like either this is the season or the series finale. I feel like almost all of them do that. And I remember really loving their finales more than a lot of other shows. And I think it's because they all have this like weight to them, this resonance in in a way that, you know, I think some shows might not um, because they're like, we'll just save that for next season. But I felt like Parenthood had to just leave it all out there every time because who knows? Yeah. And sometimes I think if you're trying to put a big cliffhanger into a finale, can sometimes feel like a trick almost. Yeah, like, kind of cheap. Yeah, like it comes out of nowhere. And so they they avoided that because they never really had a cliffhanger. Maybe that's what I really liked. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever really liked finale cliffhangers. I am still angry about my so-called life, which ended up only being one season. And that season ends on a cliffhanger. And I'm like, Damn it, does Angela choose Brian Krakow or Jordan Catalano? You know, it's 25 years later. We'll never know. It's awful. And so, anyway, that never would have happened on Parenthood, and I appreciate it. I wonder if Jason Kadams knows who she was going to (gasps) choose. We need to have him on the podcast. (laughs) Now we do. Before I was like, eh, you know, (laughs) take him or leave him. Of course not. That would be amazing. Well, let's start. With the opening of this episode, which is Sarah getting the news about Amber's accident, Mm. I loved how much was conveyed without any dialogue. Yeah. Like for like the first minute and a half or something, all that was said was Sarah answering the phone and saying hello. And then you just put it all together. It's something that feels to me so unique about film and TV is that a picture is worth a thousand words. I mean, talk about show, don't tell. Yeah. And then watching the arrivals of all the Bravermans one by one. That got me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is would just be the best part about having a huge family. Yeah. With no boundaries. <laughs> is that when one of them is in crisis, the others just descend 
like a blanket of love and support. Oh, really sweet. Yeah, I I loved it too. It was so moving to see. Well, first of all, Lauren Graham, her face in God. Oh my God, it was just her like tear streaked face. It was just perfect. Like it was just heartbreaking. And then every time she went to go hug a sibling, it was like you could see her depending on them and them just absolutely being there for her. Yeah, it was just, it was so wonderful. Um, Especially yeah. when Adam showed up, then when she really kind of just yeah. wilted and, and it made me wonder what that is trying to communicate. I mean, is it just because he's the only one who's older than her mm. that she feels like he's the protector or is it because he's such a fixer or is it because she's dating him in real life? You know, <laughs> who, who knows why? But she had a she had a, definitely a different reaction yeah. when she saw him. I noticed that too. And then Jasmine showing up was so touching and so thoughtful. When Crosby thanks her and she's like, "Well, yeah, I love your family," I thought, "Huh? I mean, that didn't." <laughs> I know that sounds bad. You do? You do? It didn't surprise me. That she no, said me that. But like at the same time, you know, she has made comments like, I know it's always about the Bravermans, you know, and, you know, Zeke is like borderline racist with her sometimes. <laughs> and I just thought, what an interesting thing for her to say in an uncomplicated way. I love your family. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, like how many people can really do that? Did you believe yes, it though? Yes, I totally believe that. Yeah, her. I did too. Yeah. But you, but yeah, you raised a good point. Yeah. I was, I was just surprised, uh, but I believed her. I was like, it's nice to know you feel that way. I might struggle with his family at times, <laughs> but. I actually picked up something super subtle, specifically about Jasmine. I may be reading too much into it, but I noticed that she was sitting next to Julia in the waiting room. And I wrote down, is she maybe her favorite Braverman? I think so. Now, like They have kids the same age, so there's that. Julia was in charge of the bridal shower. <laughs> <laughs> Julia and Joel comforted her after the breakup. Yeah. Jasmine confided in her in the last episode that she was moving on from Crosby. I don't know. I I, I really kind of like the combo. And I thought, well, if it is her favorite Braverman. I hope we see them together. And it, it made sense because, like, while they are very different in many ways, I can imagine that Jasmine might admire Julia's assertiveness. Yeah. And, like, her intellect and just, like, her general badassery, you know, that she's the boss. Yeah. That she completely dominates Joel, just like Jasmine <laughs> would like to do with Crosby. Yeah. I think they actually do have some stuff in common um, now yeah. that you mention it. Yeah. They're both very strong. and Jasmine's way less uptight. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. She just prefers not to be cheated on. That's, that's really her hang up. Yeah. 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 I feel like. Julia would have the same hang up. Yeah. So that's fair. <laughs> I feel like most people would. What did you think of Alex in the waiting room? Okay. I had very strong opinions again. I oh. thought Alex was great. Like he was just coming through in a crisis. Just like Julia said, like, wow, he's good in a crisis, you know, like just like getting coffee and donuts and being incredibly kind and Adam's just like glaring at him and and I'm like, what the hell is your problem? I don't know. Like, so I, I, I thought Alex was fantastic in this episode and I thought there were a lot of like little passive aggressive things. I thought I was going to be done complaining about Adam and Christina, by the way, by the time they resolved everything with Alex, I thought, okay, my memory was that everyone moved on. But in this episode, there were several things that really pissed me off. And that was one of them. I'm like, he's being nothing but nice. And I felt like 
Adam was just kind of glaring at him. And even I felt like Christina was kind of glaring at him until Julia was like, wow, he's good in a crisis. And then Christina said, yeah, he's great. And it sounded like maybe she meant it even, but reluctantly. Anyway, that was a long answer to your question. What did you think of Alex in the waiting room? He kind of bugged me. Really? Well, only really with what he said. Okay. Him being there, I thought was wonderful. But what just what he said to Sarah, it felt like, do you have some vision of yourself as the perfect guy? Because you are kind of the perfect guy. But you really think so, too, don't you? <laughs> and it, it felt a little like he was overstepping his bounds. Like, you should try to eat something if you can. Like, why? What are you, the fucking crisis expert? <laughs> I, and then he's like, I know this is the hardest part, waiting. I'm like, do you? Do you know? Have you ever had your daughter be in a car accident? It just seemed like you can be supportive, but mm-hmm. don't be instructive. It felt like know-it-all-ish to me a little bit. Interesting. Now, clearly, Sarah didn't take it that no. way. And I don't think he intended it that no. way. So it was a minor beef. And like even on my second watch, I was like, okay, Caleb, you're being too hard on him. But <laughs> just like, just be there. Just do what you're doing, but you don't have to give advice. See, I guess to me, it felt like such the opposite of what Max had done. So I, th- I'm, and I can't even remember now which came first. I think Alex's comment came first, but maybe I was just so distracted by Max basically being like, it's fine if Amber dies. I want pancakes, you know, that I was just like, <laughs> I appreciated anyone who was genuinely trying to be there for Sarah. I see what you're saying. If I didn't like Michael B. Jordan so much, maybe I would think that was annoying. But since I like him so much, I, it didn't even... I don't know. Yeah, usually I don't like that sort of thing when people tell you how to grieve or what to think. But now that you say it, I I do hear that. Yeah. FYI for listeners, the spleen, which Amber injures, is an organ. It's primarily a blood filter. (laughs) It produces white blood cells, which obviously are critical to the immune system. I was a little shocked to discover that it is in sort of the upper left portion of the abdomen. And she was hit on the right side. Oh, yeah. Now, they did say she had cracked ribs or maybe even broken ribs. And the spleen is within the rib cage. So I guess it's certainly possible that stuff could have gotten knocked around and it would injure that. But I did think like you injured an organ on the least damaged side of your body. I like that this this podcast has taken on like an investigative, you know, (laughs) bet. Where was Amber injured and where did the car impact her? For some reason, I thought maybe Gary died like in the past. I was like, well, we never see that guy again. Maybe he dies. But no, he's just gone. And that makes sense because he was on the side of the car that didn't get hit at all. Yeah. But I'm like, boy, Gary couldn't have wheeled on over and said, sorry for (laughs) drinking and driving and almost getting you killed. Like, I guess maybe you just ghost someone after that. There's nothing really you can say. So he just, you know, you just slink away into the night with your DUI. (laughs) Just (laughs) go years later, get on crazy ex-girlfriend and just move on with your life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's going back to Max, like you mentioned, Mm. throwing his fit. I really appreciated that in a way yeah. because I feel like his lack of a filter and his brutal honesty has been played for laughs before, which uh. I love to be totally honest. It's not that I am critical of that, but I liked that it also showed us an example of when those qualities would really be unwelcome. Yeah. That was hard to watch. That was really hard to watch. I thought Sarah handled that incredibly well. 
I, yeah. I mean, and, and it's hard for me to put myself in that situation, but I'm like, even knowing the reason why a person has no filter and would say that, if I had a family member and I wasn't sure if they were going to live or die, I mean, if I, if I was terrified for their life, I think I might lose it if someone was like, I don't care about Amber. You know, like, I, I was like, what the hell? Even though it made perfect sense. You know, I on that level, I think it makes sense that you say you appreciated it. But just just watching it, I was so upset. Which probably means it was really effective. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would be so hard from his parents' point of view to handle that. Well, one thing, like, so then when when Christina finally, like, got up and was, like, taking Max away, mm-hmm. and then he hits her. Yeah. And she, you hear her say the line, please don't hit me. And I thought, if a parent is ever uttering the words, please don't hit me, you are far past the point <laughs> of where you should be, in my opinion. Like, if a kid's... Now, I don't have kids. But right. <laughs> if, if my child said to me... If, if my child prompted me to say, please don't hit me, I would be like, if you fucking lay a hand on me again, you're sleeping outside tonight. Like, <laughs> it's just absolutely not unacceptable. I don't care if you have Asperger's. You can learn to not hit me. And I shouldn't have to ask you nicely. It makes me wish that somehow we could have like known this was coming and asked Wayne and saved it because I I want to know like what do you do with that? I mean, I I know like I don't want to speak too personally of Mark, but I know that 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 can happen to him at work, like you know, working with behaviors and stuff. Like no one ever hits me teaching AP literature or creative writing. You know, it's just it it's something that happens sometimes and I don't know what the right way to handle that is. Yeah. And this is a good point because I was just super insensitive. <laughs> because it would I I would think that there, yes, there could be some margin of error. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the kid knows not to hit, but no one's perfect all the time and and the kid gets worked up and he does hit you. And I, I don't know. Just, there would need to be consequences for it for sure. And it doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like a cue, a social cue or something that he's missing. And that's a challenge for him. The way that, you know, Adam discusses with him about empathy. Yeah. That that's something he struggles with. It's like, no, physical violence. That feels so concrete to me. Yeah. Like, hey, this action. Don't ever do that ever. But I do think that when kids especially are so worked up and they maybe don't have a sense of what's socially okay. Like I, I I think it can escalate like that. And I, I really don't know what you're supposed to do about it. I, I feel like, are they getting enough information from Dr. Pelican? You know, like that, that should be something they ask, you know, like it. And, and I do worry sometimes that they are not strict enough with him. Listen, Max, I want to, talk to you about what happened before at the hospital. I'm eating. The thing is, Max, we're part of a family. And when something happens to somebody in the family, like what happened to Amber, we want to be there for them. Doesn't matter how hungry we are, how tired we are, we want to show up for the person that's having trouble. You know, family's the most important thing in our lives. Mm-hmm. So... I think because of some of the things you said, it would be nice if you apologized to your Aunt Sarah. I didn't do anything wrong. You promised me that we could go to get pancakes, and then you kept making me wait. Max, have you ever heard of the word empathy? Do you know what that means? 
Okay. Well, it means that we think about other people's feelings when we do things, not just our own. And this is something that you struggle with because of your Asperger's. So you, you're not doing anything wrong. And I just want to help you learn empathy. And that's why I think it would be a good idea to apologize to Aunt Sarah for saying that you didn't care about Amber. Can I have more whipped cream? So I actually loved that speech. I thought the way he was explaining it was wonderful. And the words he said were also wonderful. And I thought empathy is one of the most important lessons anyone can learn, not just a kid and not just a kid with autism. But then I, I just was like, he's already put so much whipped cream onto his pancake. <laughs> and then he was like, huh, can I have more whipped cream? And, and Adam's just like, sure. And I get it. I think he's just like giving up. Like, I just gave you this beautiful speech. It did not resonate. Why the hell not? Take all the whipped cream. But in that moment, I even just thought, that felt to me like an opportunity to not even discipline, but explain a little more like, well, no, we're not talking about whipped cream right now. Did you hear me? Do you understand why I want you to apologize to your Aunt Sarah, even though technically you didn't do anything wrong? It was insensitive to say we didn't care about Amber. Sarah was really upset. Do, do you get what I'm saying? You know, like yeah. instead of just being like, yep, here, <laughs> it's useless. You know, I, I don't know. It seems like he can be off to such a good start and then just maybe give up, which I'm sure would be tempting sometimes to just be like, I don't have energy for this, you know, 24 hours a day. But anyway, that was just a thought I had. Where I agree with everything you said. And it makes me wonder something I hadn't really wondered, which is it probably was a real mistake to be doing it over pancakes, right? Probably. Because like, that was like a distraction. Because then when he tried to bring it up, Max said, I'm eating. Right. And it's like, well, he is eating. <laughs> yeah. What's happening here? Are you giving Max the pancakes that you promised him? Or are you trying to have a discussion? It probably shouldn't happen simultaneously. Yeah. And I wondered the same thing you thought. Like, oh, there's more to be done here, isn't there? And I even wondered, it, could you logically convince Max that he had done something wrong? Or like use it insensitive is a better word. Because I thought, like, what if you asked him, do you really not care if Amber lives or dies? Yeah. Because I think, and maybe he would say no. I mean. Possibly. But I don't but think, I don't think he would. so. I think he would say yes. And then I think you could say, well, you said that you didn't care. So Aunt Sarah's going to think something about you that is not actually true. So it's, it's like even less apologizing and more just like, go set the record straight. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that because I don't actually mean it. Mm -hmm. Like, would, would he understand that? I don't know. I It was an instance where I was really grateful that Max was aware of his autism. Yeah. Because I thought it was really nice that Adam could say, here's why you're struggling with this. Yeah. Rather than you're doing something wrong. It's, oh, remember when we talked about your qualities and difficulties? This is a difficulty. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, sometimes it's not just so easy as right or wrong. This may seem like the strangest comparison in the world, but I know just teaching writing, a lot of times someone will turn something in and if I'm grading it, maybe it'll get a B and not an A. Even if I use a rubric, a student might ask me, well, what was wrong with it? And I'll want to say nothing. Like it was technically correct, 
but it wasn't as interesting as it could have been or or it didn't show as much as it told it, it might it was like maybe technically perfect even but it didn't move me or something like okay so anyway it's not always just so easy as either something is 100% right or 100% wrong it might be like yeah, perhaps you didn't say anything wrong, but that doesn't mean what you said was right either. There's just like the world is so gray. It's just, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange comparison, but it's where my mind went. It was nice that he did eventually apologize to her. Yeah. And did you think that the reason Sarah wanted Max to sit next to her is because he would be brutally honest about the play? Oh, no, I didn't. I thought that she was just being so gracious and nice, but maybe, maybe she just wanted to know if it was any good. And um, we didn't hear Max's opinion, but I'm I'm afraid it might not have been such a good plan to have the most honest person in the family sit next to her during that play. But... Well, because she had just told them, just don't lie to me. You know right. what she's saying to her family? Don't lie. Well, Max will not lie to you. No, so. he will not. What did you think of this first little exchange between Crosby and Jasmine? I bought a house. Congratulations. No, no, for, for you. For me. I, I sold the houseboat and I sold my motorcycle and Joel and I have been working really hard on it and I think it's going to turn out really beautiful. Crosby, you can't buy your way out of what you did. I'm, I'm not trying to buy my way out of anything. I'm, I'm trying to give you your dream. Just let me go. Listen, I, I wasn't even going to tell you, especially not here in the parking lot of a hospital, but, you know, I saw you inside and I just felt like, I don't know, just, could you just, could you come look at it? Could you come over and look? We've been using your drawing as, as like the blueprint and I think we're doing a pretty good job. We're getting there. I mean, we don't have the pot of gold yet and you're not in it but you know I think it's a start I don't I don't know sidebar I spent a good five to ten minutes googling Hester Phillips which was the name of the hospital wing uh-huh. they were standing in front of a sign and I thought well either that's a real hospital somewhere or it's like set decoration and a made up name, which maybe is a nod to someone. Wow. Like maybe a little Easter egg. Uh, I couldn't find Jack shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it did not occur to me to look that up. I didn't even notice when you said that name. I'm like, doesn't ring Hester a bell. Phillips Memorial Wing. Well, okay. Anyway, but what did you think of the scene? Let me tell you something. When I first saw that scene, I was... Going through some real emotions. First of all, I was like, leave her the hell alone. Like, I thought it was funny when she said, congratulations. And then at one point she's like, Crosby, like, God, like, you know, like, stop it. She's asked for space. You're not giving it to her. You're doing the opposite. But then when he pulled out that that picture and said, I'm trying to give you your dream, what I wrote down was, okay, damn it. Him using the house as a blueprint is fucking adorable. And I continued to think that. Until I just heard it with you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> she drew like a little sketch of a, the outside of a house, which looks nothing like the house he bought. And it's not like she said, and I want light blue tile, not mermaid right. aqua blue tile. Like, you know, 
I think that it's a stretch, I guess. But I bought it when I first watched it. I was like, that is so sweet. But now listening to it back, I'm like, well, that's horseshit. I don't think he thought about that at all. He just thought, you know what's going to go over is if I pull out that picture and say we've been using it as a blueprint. We haven't seen him look at that picture once. Okay, what what did you think? What were your thoughts? Didn't he look at it? Did he? Previously, I can't remember. Maybe but he did. I, did I wrote he? down the exact same thing. I'm like, him showing the drawing was very sweet and thoughtful, but how is it a blueprint exactly? <laughs> <laughs> like, a blueprint is an actual thing. Yeah. And it's actual, like measurements <laughs> and instructions yeah this was a stick figure <laughs> dry, like with a pot of gold over it you know yeah yeah i actually did think it was okay of him to chase her down and talk to her yeah i mean i do wish he would let her go at this point yeah like when she's just telling you over and over again but i also thought like she can't show up there and expect to not even exchange words with him, can she? Probably And I don't not. think she did, because when he showed up, she wasn't combative or anything. Yeah. Like, the first thing she said was, like, I love your family. Yeah. So she was willing to speak back to him. Yeah. But I much preferred his second conversation with her when he said he was going to let her go. I just want to say sorry. I'm sorry we fought over dishes. And I'm sorry I had an affair. I'm sorry I did that to you and our son. I love you, and I'm always going to be there for Jabbar. And I wish there was something I could do to make everything right, you know? Say something magical or buy you a house, but it's not going to work. And I don't want you to feel weird around me. I screwed up. It's it's all me. And I want you to feel free to move on with your life. I'm not going to pursue you anymore. Um, that's it. My only nitpick is he should have done that like three episodes ago when she asked him to leave her alone so they could move on but better late than ever and I did really appreciate it and I thought this this is what love looks like I you know we we get this idea of love from tv movies that's like never give up and pursue at all costs and and grand gestures but I'm like I think sometimes love is just listening to people when they tell you what they need even if it goes against what you want and that's a really hard thing to do, but that's what she asked for. I agree. I thought it was beautiful. If I were going to change anything, just like from Crosby's perspective, if he wanted to like not give up, but also respect it, I feel like he could have said something like, I will always love you. And if you ever find your way to forgiving me, I will be there waiting for you. I don't know. Some like... I feel like there's even a way to throw that in without putting the onus on the wronged person to like respond. Mm. But now even as I'm saying it, I'm glad he didn't throw that in. And he did say like, I'll always be there for Jabbar. Yeah. That's kind of just as good as like, I'm not going to vanish from your life. Right. I can't. Or And if I did, I would be a real jerk. And you know, you just said that, that you heard back what you said and you're like, yeah, I can see where maybe that wouldn't be good. But I did want to add... I've never been in this exact situation, obviously, where my fiance slept with 
my nephew's behavioral aid and abandonment. <laughs> I've never been in that exact situation. But I, I remember back in like high school and college, there would be times where someone would ask me out and it was very hard for me to say no. It like, I, I eventually learned you just tell people no. And that's, that's nicer than like making up a reason why you can't or, you know, you know just be honest. So I, I would say, no, I, I don't feel that way about you. And most of the time, the guy didn't say like, okay, I understand. Let's be friends or, or okay, I gave it a shot. You know, the guy would say some version of I'll wait for you. And that was really awkward because I would be like, I didn't ask you to wait for me. And that, that implies that my opinion about not feeling that way about you is up for debate or could change. If it, You know what I mean? And so it was like always very uncomfortable. Like, don't do that. <laughs> like, you know, right. I'm like, I already said no once. Don't make me say no again. That's very difficult. Just take my no. And I think that's why sometimes I would get frustrated with Crosby. I know this is different. <laughs> Jasmine is attracted to Crosby and, and loves him and was going to marry him. But in some ways, that means her no was even harder. That's why I think I feel so strongly that it's like, don't put any pressure on her. So I think I am glad that he said, I'm, I'm going to stop pursuing you. Because I think she knows that if she changed her mind, he'd be like, really? You changed your mind? Yay, let's get yeah, back together. That's, yeah, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. It is funny, too, to think back to things she said to him since finding out about the infidelity i'll never forgive you for this what you did to me makes me sick don't come here again i'm not ready to forgive you i'm so angry it's just not gonna happen julia just let me go yeah if he weren't this charming character that we love we'd be like stop borderline stalking her like i mean you know it's interesting how that is packaged sometimes i mean we're taught to like admire the pluckiness. <laughs> we're taught to root for that. And we really should root for what Crosby did, which is just say, okay, I hear you. I see you. I'm not going to pursue you anymore. I think that maybe the secret moral of parenthood is that true love is about, I hear you and I see you. I'm going to respect what you say. I'm going to love who you are and not what you want me to be. Anyway, I lost it somewhere. You know, and I even sympathized with his, well, of course I did. I feel like everyone would sympathize with his desire to have her back and the steps he takes to get her back in terms of what's motivating them. Yeah. But like, maybe it's even, okay, go ahead and buy the house and try and give her her dream. But like, literally don't tell her about it. Just do it. Just be a better person. Just be the man that you think maybe she wants you to be. And then let her decide if that is, in fact, the case. Don't pitch it to her. Like, <laughs> right. Hey, what if I do this? What if I do that? No, just go improve yourself on your own. And then if she doesn't take you back, there's no downside. You're just a better person. I think it's about, like, building a home. I think it's supposed to be symbolic. Like, I don't think it's supposed to just be about the money. I think it's supposed to be, like, look how hard Crosby's working. You know, I think it's supposed to represent something but yeah, it's all goes into that problematic idea that love is about grand gestures when really love is about small gestures every day <laughs> and, and, yeah. and not sleeping with other people. Love is also about that. So what did you think about the end of the episode when Jasmine did show up to the house? Here were my feelings. This is where we come back to the fact that you said they didn't know if the show was coming back or not. It seemed to me 
like the possibility for reconciliation. And I think. But they, not full on. But not full on like they're back together. And I okay. think they did that so that if the show didn't come back, you could leave thinking maybe they get back together. Maybe they find their way back because she was willing to look at the house and she's not mad. So I'm not mad at that. I, I really just didn't want that house, that Hail Mary, as he calls it, to work. Because I'm like, that's not how you treat people. That's not how it works. That That's just whiplash. You sleep with someone <laughs> and then you give them a house. Like, you, you have to earn back trust. That's, you know, and, and it's too fast. But just from a practical standpoint, I was like, I get why the show did that. Because if they didn't come back, that's a nice note to end on. But if the show does come back, and it does... <laughs> I don't want them back together. Not because I don't like them together, but because I don't think that's how love should work. Anyway, what were your thoughts? It was exactly what you just said. Well, we're so wise. I don't know. Although, in a weird way, if the series had ended there with him saying, I'm going to let you go, that's beautiful in its own way. It is. It is. I mean, it's sad because it's not what we would ideally want for Crosby, but that ship kind of already sailed when he cheated on Jasmine, who we also love. So, like, I don't want you to do that either, but you did. Uh-huh. Yeah. You made Gabby's bed. Now you got a lie in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that would have been kind of a, a lovely ending, letting her go. And the possibility that, you know, maybe each of them would find someone else and be okay co-parenting and it would just be like sort of a, a modern family and as opposed to all these really very traditional families that exist on parenthood you know we've talked about that before yeah. yeah i like the idea of them just not working out as much as i love her and and love them together sometimes you can't work it out you know there wasn't even really a scene there she just kind of showed up maybe instead of that they could have just shown like them picking Jabbar up from school or something. Yeah. Something that shows that, hey, Jasmine and Crosby are not at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. They have moved past that. They are both there for Jabbar and they're successfully, peacefully co-parenting. Yeah. That would have felt like a happy-ish ending. Like, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. But that doesn't mean your whole life is shattered. Something that fascinates me about fiction is like, do characters live on after something ends. And I mean, obviously, literally, no. <laughs> you know, the piece has ended. But people always talk about headcanon, you know that phrase? Like, like in, in my head, this is what happened next, and that's canon. Oh. So here's my headcanon. And I was like, that's an interesting phrase. And so, I mean, it's why people write fan fiction and stuff. It's like anything can happen in your head. And I don't know. I also think sometimes we're so used to things ending with like a wedding or a baby, you know, like those big life events. And I remember my, I, I've talked about this uh, book before. So spoiler for the namesake, but the namesake really just ends with the main character being 32, divorced. Not anything major is really happening to him. And a lot of my students are really disappointed. They're like, oh, I thought he had this happy ending. And then it cuts off like three chapters after the fairy tale would have cut off, if that makes sense. And so you just see the real ending, which is kind of like what we're getting right now with Crosby and Jasmine. And, and anyway, I just I think that's interesting. We're so used to like everything ending with a bow. And life isn't like that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Life meanders and there are happy things and sad things and like just really normal mundane things. And 
why do we have to end every finale with some major life event? And that a happy ending doesn't mean everything is perfect after it. And the flip side would be true in this case, too. Like, an unhappy ending doesn't mean that everything is shit after. Right. Jasmine maybe doesn't take you back. But then you're sad about it for a while. You keep parenting together your awesome son. And then maybe one day you both find happiness romantically with someone else. Yeah. And then, bam, was it an unhappy ending or not? No. There was one deleted scene on the DVD in this episode that you would have loved. (laughs) That is dripping with sarcasm. Okay. What was it? It is Joel going over to Jasmine's to talk her into seeing the house. Oh, no. And he literally tells her, I won't take no for an answer. Oh, I'm glad they cut that. Oh, take no for an answer. And then Jasmine literally says, I'm tired of everyone getting in the middle of it. Yeah. Jesus. And, And then Joel... I think Joel has enough awareness to be like, I don't want to come across as a Braverman. <laughs> well, like, then leave. Yeah. This is what a Braverman would do. But Joel says, I'm a hard worker. And I've never seen anyone work harder than Crosby has worked on this house for the last three weeks. As if three weeks is such a long amount of time. He's like, he deserves five minutes of your time. Does he? I mean, like, she didn't ask him to work hard on a house. She asked she him says, not to cheat. I realized I should have just made a clip of this. It's just so much extra work. Because... At the five minutes comment, Jasmine goes, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that actually drives me crazy when people say stuff like, I've done this for you. What is that song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Everything after everything I've done for you that you didn't ask me to, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's like Jasmine didn't say, you know what? Maybe we can get back together. But here's what you've got to do. Buy a house and fix it up. No, I mean, like, it's so weird. It just, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. It wouldn't have added much anyway, except making you even angrier. Although it did allow Joel to have a purpose in the episode rather than just being a receptacle for Julia and Crosby's feelings. But, (laughs) But still. I did like the moment where he just sat down next to Crosby on the front stoop of, of the house and like just got a beer out and started drinking it with him. I was like, that is being supportive. I actually think that's more supportive than going over to Jasmine's house and forcing her to come because sometimes you have to let shit go. Like you can't control everything. Some things are out of your hands and whether Jasmine forgives Crosby is out of Crosby's hands Julia's hands, Joel's hands, every, you know, and, and whether Adam forgives Crosby is out of Camille's hands, Zeke's hands, Sarah's hands. Like it's something that that is just everyone on this show <laughs> needs to learn. You can't control what other people do. You just can't. Yeah. People keep giving impassioned speeches. <laughs> it's like sometimes you should just say, you do you, man. I can't, I can't, I gotta let it go. So now here's something that's occurring to me. Listeners that gave Melissa no warning. So Fun. I don't know if she'll even want to talk about this. <laughs> but you've been cheated on, right? I have. Yeah. Not by Mark. We got to make that super clear. Yes. Yeah. Was there any effort on that ex's part to win you back or was it just done? No, it was really weird. Um, I, I'm try- like this, uh, boy, this is like a long time ago. I was... It was half my life ago. I was 20. And it it was uh, the boyfriend I had for like a year and a half. He slept with my roommate. It was really painful. And we sort of had this very long, drawn out breakup. We were kind of breaking up slowly where we were still kind of together because we just 
I don't know, couldn't rip the Band-Aid off. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. So we were sort of like this weird undefined thing for a while. And that's when I found out that when we were still fully together, he'd been with my, my roommate. It was an ongoing thing. And so that ripped the Band-Aid off. Then it was like, well, we're for sure done now. And I was like, it was very television like I, I was just like when I found out I think I even said something like I was the best thing that was ever going to happen to you which is not something I would normally say but I'm kind of proud that I said that and, and guys uh, if you met this guy you would agree <laughs> I do think that yeah I know it's kind of it was it was just very final it was a it was a very final thing so if he had bought you a house <laughs> no. it wouldn't have changed your mind would not have changed my mind and you know now that i'm thinking about it i think th there was like a moment like it was like on a valentine's day i think that there was like a card on my on my bed somehow he got in my house <laughs> it was and it was like written in blood <laughs> no not really <laughs> not really right no Okay, thank no, God. Not written in blood, it, but it did say, I still love you. And it did not make me go, aw. It was like, how the hell did he get in here? I was very scared. <laughs> Jeez. You know? Yeah, it was not good. Maybe the roommate let him in? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was, that was kind of nice too. She had already moved, like not just out of the house, but like to Colorado. So she was gone. And so that was just for the best. And, you know, and, and it was a very bad relationship. Like I, it was not good. And so in some ways finding out that he cheated just made me move on. But yeah, I mean, it would have been the worst thing if everyone in my life was like, give him another try. It's fine. Like, your feelings are I won't take no for an answer. Yeah, right, right. He deserves five minutes of your time. Yeah, really upsetting, especially to think of it from, from that angle. That's a good point. Well, okay, what have we not touched on? Maybe some Adam and Corey action? Yeah. <laughs> First off. I just found out that you fired Eddie and you made Spider the head of the design team. I did indeed. Look, man, Spider, Spider's a genius. He's the future of this company, okay? I don't understand why you wouldn't consult me about this. Eddie has been working here for six years. He's got two kids. He's been doing a great job. Did, did you even think about him as a person? I understand that he's got a family, okay? But we're running a company. The fact of the matter is we don't need Eddie in the direction we're moving. I see. No. He's not radical enough. He's not cool enough. He's not hip enough Look, or I, whatever. I can see that you're angry. Yeah, I'm angry. Do you want me to be a part of running this company with you or not? I do. You do? Because it doesn't feel like you do. It feels like I'm here to set things up for you to knock them over. That's what it feels like for me. I'm here to be your patsy. I'm old and you're new and everything that I do sucks and you're just going to knock it over and do something else. That seems to be my role here. So I'm just going to sit in my office and see what happens next, okay? Adam, <laughs> you cannot talk to your boss that way. You can't. I was mostly just stunned by, I mean, throughout this whole episode, and we've seen it before, Adam is so much like Zeke. Yeah. And I, I wow. think I would have said before rewatching it, oh, Adam's nothing like Zeke. Because Zeke is so hot-tempered, and Adam is so Johnny reliable. But... Adam's temper flares up pretty frequently. Yeah. I mean, he does on a day-to-day -day probably keep it in check pretty well, but it doesn't seem to actually be handling it. It's he just keeps the lid on until he literally boils over and then he just resets until the next time it happens. 
there have been some revelations for me just revisiting this in such depth. I mean, I don't know if I'd have all these thoughts if I was just tearing through it the way you do when you're binging a show. I might gloss over a lot of this, but taking notes, watching each episode twice, talking with you and with guests, I am really uncomfortable with how many people say Adam is like the perfect person. You know, he's the perfect man. He's the perfect guy. I'm like, Adam is deeply flawed. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just, like when you listen to that conversation back, Corey is completely calm, even keeled. He never loses it back. He's the one who's in charge and Adam is being petulant. It is Corey's company. He can do what he wants. And I get that. You know, in fact, it's like maybe it's not good to discount that someone has a family, but and maybe this is my bitterness as someone without kids talking, but I'm like, well, the fact that Eddie, whoever Eddie is, you know, has two kids shouldn't shield him from, you know, like, right. I, I'm like, you, you can't fire or hire people based on their family situation. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, there was something icky about that to me. And I'm like, well, it's not personal, it's business. And you're taking it personally. And I get that this is hard, but at least he's not running things the way that, that Gordon did. I mean, Corey has a lot of compassion. I, I think so too. I mean, I literally wrote down on their next scene together. I was like, I really think Corey is pretty highly involved. Yeah. And like in that scene we just played, the way that he said, I can see that you're angry. Yeah. I thought it was like, this is great. It was a good try at diffusing Adam. Yeah. It didn't work. But no. to say like, Adam, if you're trying to communicate your anger to me, message received. <laughs> so you can, I feel like implicit in that is so you can stop yelling at me now. Yeah. Because... I got it. And we can talk about this if you want. Because I don't think Adam was totally out of line. I mean, in terms of what he was saying, which is, I would like to be looped in. And when you, you, you say you want me to be a part of this, but then you don't include me on decisions, I'm left feeling like I'm getting very mixed signals. Yeah. Okay, valid point to bring up. But <laughs> you can't communicate it in that way and expect the problem to get solved. And it's just going to create even more problems for you. Especially since Adam often acts like he is Corey's boss instead of the other way around. And right. I mean, I get that he's been there a lot longer, but it's just the way it is, man. Like sometimes someone comes in and you've been there a long time, but suddenly they're your boss. That's the... And, and even if Adam were the boss and Corey did work for him, I wouldn't like the way he's talking to him. You know, I it just... Yeah. He seems to think it's okay to take out his frustrations on other people and it's really not it's not okay to do that i mean it's human we all do it sometimes but i don't know if adam really truly gets that that's not okay to do you know um yeah. he apologizes later but or if he thinks he gets a pass because he's such a good guy right and he does eventually realize you know the error of his ways right but if you realize it stop doing it yeah <laughs> yeah but you mentioned compassion. I mean, I feel like Corey is very compassionate. This feels like the most compassionate firing That's what I wrote. that I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, listen, Corey, I just wanted to clear the air. Sorry for losing it. I had no right to do that. I just had, you know, had a late night. I was at the hospital. And... Look, the truth is, no matter what I feel about Eddie, this is your company. You have every right to hire and fire whoever you want without consulting me. I just wish you would. I was out of line, so I'm sorry. 
You're not happy here, Adam. What? At this job, are you? Fun, fun. I feel like any time I do something, choose a new direction, mm -hmm. express myself, I, I feel like you're just judging me as opposed to joining me. I'm not. And that, that really hurts, man. Truth be told. Okay. It makes it really hard for me. I really respect you and the work that you do. Thank you. But I just don't think this is a good fit for you. Are you firing me? I'm letting you go. Oh. Yeah. I thought it was kind of beautiful. It was. And he's right, I think, on all counts. Like, <laughs> yes. Adam's miserable. And I think he deserves to be fired, not just for losing it earlier, but what Corey said about every time I'm trying to do something, you're always combative. You know, I mean, he says it yeah. a lot nicer than that. You're judging me instead of joining me. And that's true. If I were this like innovative guy like Corey with all this excitement and enthusiasm, I think the last thing I would want is Adam being like this wet blanket all the time, you know, just putting out my fire constantly. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not in the shoe biz. I don't know how these things work. <laughs> the shoe biz. Because <laughs> it sounds like show biz. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Oh, but you know, because maybe. Hey, that's just shoe biz, that's man. That's shoe biz. <laughs> Well, we really got to use these jokes now because he's out of there. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Adam is right in some ways and Corey's too idealistic, but it's not Adam's call. And and I thought Corey was totally right. I'm sure I've never thought yeah. that before. And so perceptive and so yeah. vulnerable, like to say that the way, you know, that this is how Adam makes him feel and to, to notice why are you trying to hang on to this job? Yeah. I mean, of course, financially. Right, right. That I understand. But I don't know that we've ever seen Adam happy at his job. No. I mean, maybe the walkathon, but that was because of his family, not because of the shoes. Yeah. I mean, Corey fired both Bravermans. <laughs> the nicest way. <laughs> sort of. And he was like a therapist in each of them. Yeah. I, I felt like Corey really was doing Adam a favor. I mean, I, I can't imagine how frustrating it would be from Adam's point of view to put so many years and so much energy into a job that he isn't really passionate about yeah, just for it to end like that. So I do feel for him. Yes. And no one would want to lose their job. No. But I agree with you on all the actual points. I think Corey is absolutely right and within his rights. Yeah. I have so many thoughts. One of them is that this feels like one of the more realistic elements of the show, truly, that you would have a character who just really doesn't like what he does for a living. Yeah. I mean, if, if you were to pull, especially people in, in this country, you know, who who hates their job? Like, I think most people do, which is sad. Because it's like how you spend at least a third of your life, if not more. You know, it's it's just, it's sad, but, but so believable. But it didn't always make for great television. And, you know, it makes sense that, like, Julia's a lawyer and Crosby's a music producer. It's not, like, the most realistic stuff ever, but... It's fun to watch people love what they do. It's sort of depressing to watch people just go, oh, and then go into work because that's that's yeah. life. I mean, I love what I do. 
And I know you love what you do when there's not a pandemic and you actually get to do it. And so we're both very lucky, but I don't know that that's true for a lot of people. Well, and I feel like the pandemic has been a wake-up call on that front. I mean, I always was grateful to do something that I enjoyed doing, but to realize what a privilege it is. Mm-hmm. Because when I would look, when I am looking for other jobs, I feel a resistance within me towards doing something I don't want to do. Yeah. Because I've always gotten to. Even when within the framework of what I want to do, I've had tons of jobs that I did not enjoy. But it was, oh, I'm playing piano for a group that I can't stand. Right. Or I'm playing piano underneath a supervisor who drives me bananas. Yeah. But even then, it wasn't the the work specifically. But then when I like fill out an application to be a receptionist at a barber shop in Brooklyn where I'm going to sweep up hair. I didn't know you applied for that. I have a feeling of like, I can't sweep up hair for a living. But someone does. Yeah. And they probably don't, well, they probably do complain about it, as they should, because no one wants to do that. But someone needs to do it. And here I am in my little tower. Just, I always get to do something I want to do. And I remember you had like a temporary job between grad school and teaching where you worked at the phone book company. Oh, my God. Yes. And that that was like a wake up call for you of, oh, the people who work here full time just hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I started to understand why people talk about like the daily grind, why people are just sort of like not so passionate as they get older. I don't know. It was very dark. (laughs) I know it sounds terrible, but just working in an office where no one was happy there. People all the time, my students comment, they're like, you seem so happy all the time. And I'm like, well, obviously I'm not happy all the time, but I am happy at work almost all the time. So I genuinely love teaching. I think part of the reason I love teaching is I had a job I hated so much for only eight months before I became a teacher. But it felt like eight years. Like It felt like forever, you know, and, and I would just watch the clock. Time clicked by so slowly. It was just very boring. And I didn't think the work mattered. And I imagine that's probably how Adam felt. Like he didn't care about the work he was doing. And I guess that is a privilege to get to care about what you do. For a lot of people, that's asking a lot. That's like self-actualization shit. Like you're just trying to get a paycheck. You're just trying to get by. And so I'm very, very grateful that my job isn't just a a paycheck. It's hard work, but it's work I, I like to do. Also, before we move off that scene, Corey says that he feels like Adam is judging him. And it made me think of in the previous episode, where had he used those exact words. Wow. I just feel like dad is judging me. It's just Adam saddling up the old. (laughs) And I don't know if that's always fair to put on him because I sometimes feel that way. I know like I had one of my best friends in high school started smoking and didn't tell me for like years because they thought I was going to think less of them. And that did not make me feel good. Yeah. And I did wonder, like, am I putting something out there that I'm going to, like, judge you? I wouldn't stop being your friend or loving you. Right. So I don't know if it's always fair with Adam, but I do think it should prompt some self-reflection in Adam. Mm -hmm. what What are you doing that makes people feel judged by you so much? Yeah. And can you cut it out? (laughs) 
That's a good point. Anyway, when he finally tells Christina that he got fired, I noticed that Christina was reading the book that Hattie got from the bookstore when she was actually having sex with Alice. (laughs) That's really sweet. I love that. All I wanted to say was how fascinating it was to me that a show that I would have said really got away from the movie after like the pilot and maybe the first couple episodes and then it just started doing its own thing with its own storylines and now Adam has gotten fired in the same episode that his wife tells him that she's pregnant which is directly from the movie and that is fascinating like that's that's so interesting and why did they wait till the season two finale to do that you know like that's I don't know I just thought that whole thing was was interesting I remembered that happening from watching the show before, but I hadn't really linked that to the movie before. Uh, In fact, I was just always like, what's the point of Christina being pregnant again? Like, is that just shows do that sometimes so that there's like fresh young blood to like new storylines, you know, just like have another kid. It kind of bothered me. The idea of Christina being pregnant is not thrilling to me. In in fact, I, I thought about it and she might be the character I'd be least interested to see pregnant at this point. Huh. Like Julia would be more interesting if she just gotten this bad news and then bam, wait, you did get pregnant. Yeah. And like it's gonna maybe be high risk or something. But maybe you have to be on bed rest. Oh. But you're a workaholic. How are you gonna do that? Hattie would be more interesting. That's true. Amber would be more interesting. Like, what if she's in the hospital and like, hey, she's pregnant. It's Gary's or who knows, you know, yeah, who knows? shoot. Jasmine would be crazy interesting. That would What if be... at the exact moment Crosby lets her go, she finds out, oh, I'm pregnant. Now, I don't know how much time has passed. I mean, Joel said three weeks, so that could really work, but whatever. But that would be so interesting. I mean, maybe only Sarah would be less interesting to suddenly be pregnant. But it's like, oh, the stay-at-home mom (laughs) is going to have another baby. Like you said, I feel like shows often add them to just breathe new life into it. Like the Seavers had a baby. The Keatons had a baby. The Bankses on Fresh Prince. But in all those shows, like, they had the baby, and then a year went by, and suddenly the baby was five. Yeah. Because the baby needed to have a personality in order to breathe new life into the show. I wouldn't expect parenthood to do that kind of trickery. (laughs) So it's like, so you're going to add a character to the story as if this show needs more children. Right. And it's not even a character who can do anything. In fact, it's sort of sad because now I'm remembering something I was going to say earlier about Adam never liking his job. It makes me wonder again, why they didn't entertain more seriously when Christina got that offer from her friend to be like campaign manager in the first season. It's like, well, Adam hates his job. And, (laughs) you know, like, why didn't they have a conversation about, you know what, maybe I'll stay home for a while. You do that. It makes you feel alive and seen and all these like, you know, words (laughs) that I can't even remember now because it's been a while. But and and maybe that just didn't pay as much as Adam's job, possibly. I, I don't know. And now if she's having another baby, I'm like, oh, okay. So what's going to be longer before she can have a job that makes her feel alive and seen and valued? Cool. Yeah. And, you know, this is the sort of shit that you're not supposed to say because, <laughs> and when I say you, I mean me, I mean a woman. Um, I think this is why it makes some people uncomfortable when I talk openly about choosing not to have children because... I think you're supposed to, quote unquote, think that having a baby is like the most fulfilling thing you could ever do with your life. And that every time it happens to a woman, her her purpose is renewed. And I don't mean 
to say that's never true. And obviously I think that being a parent is an incredibly important, meaningful thing to do with your life. But what I resent is the idea that it's the only important, meaningful thing to do with your life. And if I were Christina, I wouldn't just be worried about money and Adam losing his job. I would mourn the fact that my daughter was 16, so close to being grown, and that Max is like 10 now, and now starting all over. Yeah. I would really struggle with that. And you know what would be interesting, Caleb? If... You're about to do I it, should arrest do you for stealing the, the pot right out of my you, hand. Then you do it. You do it then. Yes. You don't think it should come from a woman? <laughs> Maybe it, it would should. be more interesting to watch them decide not to have the baby. It would be more interesting to watch that. And it would I don't want to watch them raise an infant. <laughs> and this is when we lose all our viewership. <laughs> right. We're a podcast. We don't have a viewership. Well, listeners. Um, but you know what I'm saying. If the baby is wanted, which it clearly is, yes. they should they absolutely, should absolutely have, have the baby. Of course. Yes. But we, as a viewer, yeah. talking about the fictional character. Right. Yeah. It would be more compelling to, you know, like Maude, you know, the infamous abortion yeah. episode of Maude. She was later in her childbearing years and accidentally found herself pregnant. And that's what that was about. Mm-hmm. Was, hey, I just don't want to do this at this stage in my life. Yeah. Or, since we keep spoiling Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Paula, you know, had two boys and she was finally, like, you know, on her way to becoming a lawyer herself, studying for the bar and all of those things and found out she was pregnant. You know, the family chose not to have the baby and and it's kind of like choosing herself. Some people would find what we're talking about really awful. Yeah, and I respect that. I respect that too. But... I guess all just to say, I'm not super psyched about Christina being pregnant. I will also say, to bring it back to the movie, I think the fact that this is directly drawn from the movie is maybe the only thing that keeps it from being a total whiff to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you are just emulating your source material. And that it's coupled with the job loss. Like, oh, man, we had this big challenge. A baby's going to be expensive, and I don't have a job anymore. And presumably won't have like health care for much longer. Right. That's scary. And how old is Christina? I mean, this is going to be a geriatric pregnancy. Yeah. I, I would guess since Hattie's 16. And Adam's 40. I think he's 41 in season two. Okay. I would guess she's probably his age or a couple years younger. Like maybe yeah. maybe anywhere from 30. Well, she can't be 36, right? I, mean, I don't think she had her at 20. You know, it, it feels no. to me like they were probably married, so, so maybe 40, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that... Which is not out of the question. Right, right. And that's interesting. But it is on the older end. If they talk about that, that's something that I would find compelling. I don't know. Um, I will say I did find their reaction to it really beautiful and you know, joyful. And that was fun to watch. I did. I also liked that when Adam found the pregnancy test, we had this beautiful montage of hard times come again, no more with lots of various beautiful images. And then it just slam cut out when he comes in ready to, you know, did you have anything to say about his reaction when he thought it was Alex? Yes, I did. He called Alex a son of a bitch. Called him a son of a bitch. I mean, not to his face, but... But to his face earlier at Sarah's play. Hey, um, I just wanted to let you know that 
I love your daughter, and I will always respect her. Anything else? Nope. Just, just, just guess that's it. Wear a condom. Yes, sir. I was furious. And it's weird. Just as Max earlier in the episode is like, I didn't do anything wrong. Technically, you might say, Adam didn't do anything wrong. It's good to tell teenagers who are having sex to wear condoms. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it Technically, is. Technically, that's right. But when someone comes up to you and is very earnest and, and says, I love your daughter, I respect your daughter, that's a different conversation. And if you want to work the condoms into the conversation, <laughs> I feel like you should at least acknowledge the conversation they're trying to have and say something like, I know you do. I appreciate that. This is hard for me. I know that she's on the pill now, but I know how I thought when I was your age. It's really, this is, it's, I, I'm sorry, this isn't even what you were talking about, but it's really important to me that you wear a condom every time. Would you promise me that? You know, like, it's not that he said wear a condom. It's that that's all he said and that he glared at him like he was nothing and walked away. And the glare, he like made, forced him to verbally, it's, you can't tell it in the clip. Right. But he says, wear a condom. And Alex like nods or something. And then Adam sort of like threatens him Ugh. until he gets a yes, sir. And then they're done. Yuck. The power dynamics of that really upsetting. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're just supposed to think that's fine. But, but it does fall into that gross category of the dad by the door with the shotgun, like protective of his daughter. It's like... This is a good person. I hated it. And then, yeah, compound that with that little son of a bitch when he finds out that, well, he thinks that Alex has gotten Hattie pregnant. And the fact that he completely takes Hattie out of all decision making, why not talk to Hattie about, can you make sure he wears a condom? Like, you know, I, I just, talk to your daughter. Like, just, yeah. ugh, I don't know. I'm just really uncomfortable about the whole thing. I get that Adam's uncomfortable. I get this is hard for him. And I get that this is not the decision that a lot of parents would want their, their kid to make, but some things are out of your control and you just, you can't treat people like this. You know, the way he talks to Corey, the way he talks to Alex, like the way he sometimes talks to Crosby, you know, he, he is belittling. It's not just a matter of being judging. He's belittling. He treats people as though they're beneath him. It's really upsetting. <laughs> I agree with everything you said, and I don't blame Alex for this conflict, but it was slightly another moment of like, Alex, you don't have to be the perfect <laughs> man at every turn. Yeah. Did you need to pull your girlfriend's dad aside and say, I just want you to know I respect your daughter. Wink, wink, because we're fucking now. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, maybe just let that go unsaid. Just don't even go there. Yeah. I mean, Adam should have welcomed that. I 100% agree with you. But it was a little like the waiting room for me. It's like, Alex, just just do the right thing. Don't call attention to it. Yeah. And then it was kind of freaky, just speaking of Adam's temper, once he found out it wasn't Hattie who was pregnant, and then once the retainer was found, it was like manic depressive, sort yeah. of how he <laughs> went from irate too giddy. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> you need a professional help, Adam. It was also true. You don't have to live like this. <laughs> 
Well, and Christina, <sighs> the way that she was like, calm this. down, calm down. As if she had seen this from Adam before, which like we know she has. Yeah. We've seen a couple instances of it. It's just kind of disturbing. Was it also disturbing the way he caressed her face while still holding the pregnancy test that not only had I, been peed on, but in the trash? And it's like right next to her face. He's like holding her. I'm like. And he had dug through what <laughs> old rice and stuff it looks like. <laughs> it's not okay. Yeah. Man. Well, okay. How about Julia's little subplot in this episode? Who? Okay. So I have never given birth and I'm sure it's very painful, but that really felt like a TV birth and not a real birth to me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Mother freaking damn hell crap bastard. I hate him. I hate my husband. I hate him so much. How can that son of a bitch be a trial right now? He's never a trial. I'm with child. He's in mother freaking Fresno. That's what it made me think right. of. <laughs> if you can't yeah, curse, don't don't do substitute curse words. It's so silly. Right. Well, and like when the whole joke of the scene is someone cursing a blue streak, but you're not allowed right. to curse a blue streak, then you got to come up with a different joke. Yeah. Yeah. You may have been just about to say this, but like this was a trope that at best felt really tired to me. Yeah. And in a weird way, it felt kind of offensive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you agree, but like just the, oh, here's this pregnant woman who's in so much pain that it's hilarious. Right. And I thought, I don't know that that's funny. And it's in a way it's not believable, even though I, I gather, I, should, <laughs> right. I was about to say, I know, I gather that childbirth is very painful and I absolutely believe that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. I don't know. To me, it felt like it trivialized it yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, me too. Like, it made the experience silly. And maybe women do really react that way, but I I don't know. It didn't feel real. It did And then also, I was like, wasn't this whole storyline on Friends 15 <laughs> years earlier yeah. when Joey finds Leah Remini <laughs> and helps her deliver her baby? He's got that little balloon that, like, walks next to him or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the, it felt so silly. And, you know, the fact that it's Sydney's old teacher who we have met did help. You know, like it wasn't a character we're just told we've met. Like, I thought that was a cool choice if they were going to do this. But the most interesting part of that storyline to me was the teacher saying to Julia, I thought you were a bitch. And Julia saying, I thought you were a bitch. And yeah. I, I thought more of that if if this is what's going to happen, you know, like the fact that you both because they did. I mean, that felt very real because that one episode we really saw them in, there was that tension that was kind of unexplored. So I thought that was a cool callback. And, you know, the way that women do sometimes, I think, judge each other for their choices and the way that Julia kind of undercut her as a teacher and she kind of undercut Julia as a mother that's cool to come back and explore that. But yeah, yeah, just the silly cursing. And, you know, Caleb, it was so insightful of you to say that those over the top delivery scenes are sort of mocking women's pain and like playing it for a joke. I've never liked those scenes, but I've never been able to articulate why. And I think you just did beautifully. Like there was something oh. about them that always bothered me. And that's it. That's it. Exactly. Like it is again i'm sure very painful but it's not funny that it's painful it's just painful and yeah yeah 
And that to me is even different. I mean, to bring up friends again, I think it's funny when Rachel is waiting to be dilated mm-hmm. 10 centimeters and she keeps having different roommates because they come in and are ready to deliver before her and she's pissed about it. Yeah. Now that I think is funny, but it's also, it's not mocking her pain. It's mocking how long it's taking. Yeah. She's just impatient. Yeah. That to me feels different than like, oh, isn't it hilarious what agony she's in? Right. So obviously the emotional payoff of this plot line, I think, was to have Julia be around a newborn baby. Right. When she's experiencing this infertility. And I I did think that Erica Christensen was so good in the scene when she finally met the baby. Yeah. Because, you know, like she wasn't crying or anything. And yet it was so clear Mm -hmm. all the mix of emotions that was going on within her. So it ended in a nice place, but I think they could have ended in exactly the same place without the teacher being a total cartoon character. Right. Yes, absolutely. It may have been less funny, but I don't think the comedy here really worked anyway. It didn't. So. It didn't land, no. I thought the, the cutest part, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Julia walked in later with the car seat, Grace, I think her name is, the teacher, she and her husband were like having this conversation. It was like, well, do you think that the baby dreams? And it's like, what is the what do babies dream about? They don't have any life experience yet. And I, I just I didn't hear that. I really enjoyed that. I think I only noticed it because I was watching with subtitles. You can't really hear it, you know. But maybe I was busy googling Hester Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I thought that was so charming and sweet, and that was kind of funny, but it wasn't like trying to be. It was it was just great and made them feel like a real couple who just had a baby and and not cartoon characters. And I did like the arc of Julia deciding, no, I don't need to have another baby. Look how painful that was. I'd forgotten that part. And then holding the baby later and saying, but I'd also forgotten that part and let's let's adopt. Um, I thought, yes, ultimately that all worked, just not the silly aspects of it. And it made me think about, you know, when we had Sarah on recently, Sarah Russell, not Sarah Braverman. (laughs) How would we have swung that? (laughs) How she mentioned adoption was something she felt like you kind of had to be called to do. And this felt like that call sort of to Mm -hmm. me. And I thought it was really nice that Julia arrived at that. And it wasn't like a consolation prize or a backup plan yeah it was i want to do this i'm i'm feeling called to mother another child and it doesn't matter if i give birth to them or not right and i thought well that's beautiful and then i thought like that will be a new and interesting facet yes. of parenting to present on the show not like adam and christina yeah <laughs> no i i completely agree i was all in i'm like yeah that that will be really interesting to watch is is an adoption storyline and you know i i my brother is adopted and so i think i'm i've always been like especially interested in that and i'm not adopted so like i think that's interesting too that they had sydney biologically and then are talking about having another child via adoption and just the different ways families can look and be. I think that's cool. Yeah. I did wonder, does Joel ever really get a say on what their lives are going to look like? <laughs> you know, because like they're having that adorable tea party, which I just could not have loved more with their little hats and everything. God, that was so freaking cute. I couldn't stand it. But like, 
at one point, you know, Julie's just like, I'm so, I'm so happy, Joel. I'm so grateful for my life. You, Sydney, me, it's enough. It's enough. And Joel's just kind of like, okay. And then later she's like, it's not enough, Joel. I want to adopt. And at least she says, will you do this with me? But I don't <laughs> yeah. even think we get to hear him answer her. I think, he just kisses her. Right, which I guess means yes. But like, even if he said no, she wouldn't. She wouldn't drop it. No, she would just keep pushing. She kind of said yes. no to having a second baby in the first place. Blew right past that. Full steam ahead. <laughs> That's where Joel learned I won't take no for an answer from <laughs> Julia, forcing right. him to have another child. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, does this just leave Amber? Uh, I think it does. Well, so we covered where the spleen is. <laughs> <laughs> so really our work is mostly so done she's out of the hospital and sarah is worried that she's not taking this all seriously enough how do you feel obviously not great i mean look at me it's but what what were you thinking i mean an accident you know but amber this is an accident that you asked for in a way it's well i wasn't driving like, okay and i obviously got really driving, messed up you got so in the car with someone who was clearly i mean his blood alcohol know. is I through the roof was fine. do you understand that that i think i've been attacked enough i, I don't not attacking need you, to... you i'm afraid <laughs> I, I i don't understand no, she's obviously if you not even listening. get what you've been through what the hell is your problem What's now? My, You're look gonna... at you I mean, you have any idea what you put us through? What if you had died? I get it. What, what else do you want me to say? It doesn't God. seem like you get it. I don't want to talk about it. I get it. I thought that it was kind of incredible how bad they made Amber look. I thought that was good, the way they kind of went for it. Like, it really shook the hell out of everybody. Like, shook them up. I loved Drew in this episode so much. The way he loves his sister and was mad at her. And that was like his love language because he wanted to shake her, you know? And that was just beautiful. Yeah, I thought it was just awful that she wasn't getting it. And I really didn't fully understand why she wasn't getting it. Like, I didn't understand why this wasn't enough to shake her out of this. What do you think getting it would have looked like? Looked like, yeah. I don't know. Because that was my one reservation about this. I totally sympathized with Sarah and Drew, but I wasn't quite sure what they wanted out of Amber. And sometimes I struggle with people expecting a specific emotional reaction from someone else. Mm. I think because I sometimes feel self-conscious about the way I react to things. Yeah. And like, I've never murdered anyone. Oh, good. But sometimes I'll watch murder trials and like, you'll watch like someone like Nancy Grace be like, look at that defendant. He doesn't look sorry. And I think, well, you have some idea of what sorry looks like. Huh. And then because he's not matching it, you're assuming he's guilty. What is he supposed to be constantly sobbing through every single moment in the courtroom? Or I, I don't huh. know. It just it seems like there is a wide range of human reactions to various things. And just because someone doesn't have the reaction you might want them to have doesn't mean it isn't clicking with them. That's a good point. But that was a small issue because yeah. I think given everything else in the episode. Amber hadn't really understood the gravity of it by then. So yeah. I bought it. That does remind me, this is a, a small story, but I remember my mom once calling me after an acquaintance of mine had died. And she kind of thought because I wasn't crying that I wasn't upset. It was a really interesting conversation. And I, 
I think it led to both of us understanding that like grief looks really different. You know, I, I didn't want to like put on a big show, you know, because that felt inauthentic and I didn't really know him well enough and I hadn't seen him in a long, long time for my grief to be such that I was sobbing, but it was more like it was just lodged in the back of me somewhere persistent and it made me feel kind of numb, if that makes sense. It just didn't look like what my mom thought grieving would look like because I didn't answer the phone going like, hello, you know, like, and, and, <laughs> and I felt like if I had done that, it would have been performative because that wasn't the type of grief I was feeling. So I had never even thought about this, Caleb, until you brought that up. And I think that's super interesting that maybe, I mean, I guess we're, we're being told later, like you said, no, she wasn't getting it, but it would have been interesting. I think if she had been processing it and it just didn't look the way that they expected it to look. She was just quiet, quietly reflective of what I've really messed up. I don't know what to do now. Not only did I not get into college, now I've let everyone in my life down and I don't know what to do next, you know, but it's, I mean, do you have to cry at a junkyard looking at the car with your grandfather to to get it? Like, you know, I, I don't know. As it turns out, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you brought up the junkyard. Let's listen. So any listeners, if this is your first time going through parenthood, you should just know that like if you Google top crying scenes (laughs) on parenthood or most moving scenes or most heart wrenching, probably every list you come across is going to have this scene in the junkyard. So this looms large Mm -hmm. amongst parenthood fans. And I think it does with good reason. Which is why I'm going to play the whole scene. All right. I'm ready. I want you to see something. Recognize it? Yeah, it's the car. It's Gary's car. Mm -hmm. Come here, take a look. looking yeah I see it Amber you know I was two years in Vietnam do you know what I thought about what I dreamt about was coming home having a family having grandkids I dreamt you Amber. And Hattie. And Drew. And Sydney. Jabbar. And Max. And we almost lost you, Amber. I know. You had some bad breaks. Not feeling good about yourself. Didn't get into Berkeley. Well, boo friggin' who? Yeah, suck it up, girl. You're a braverman. You got my blood in your veins. Now, you ever do something like this again? You even think about doing something like this? I will personally kick your little butt all the way from here to the Golden Gate Bridge. You do not have my permission to mess with my dreams. Are we clear?
to a really good Zeke. <laughs> it's also, it's like Zeke slash Batman. <laughs> well, what did, what did you think of that scene? I mean, you, you said uh, setting it up. It's just, it seems like this that make it so hard to just hate Zeke all the time. Right. Because God, this was him at his very best. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. It seemed like a smart way to get her to understand the severity of what had happened. It felt so true to his character. Yeah. Like, obviously, Sarah was never going to give that kind of tough love. Right. And maybe that's not even the best way to do it. Like, maybe it's not the healthiest way, but it sure seemed effective. Yeah. (laughs) And then I was so taken with, it's just the two of them in the scene. He comes down on her so hard. He's so harsh, one second. But as soon as she breaks down, she lean, literally leans on him for comfort. This person who was just scolding her. Right. And then he immediately switched to giving her that comfort. Yeah. And this is a small detail, but notice that while he's yelling at her, yelling, right. his glasses are on. And as soon as she is scared... And cracks, he takes the glasses off. I did not notice that. And it just seems like, oh, yeah, you got to be intimidating and you got to be impenetrable and frightening while you're getting this message through. And then once she needs her grandpa, you open up the old windows of the soul (laughs) and and let her in. And then you're there for her. And the wall comes down. Wow. God, that's... What did you think of this? Beautiful. I really... I remembered loving it, and I I mostly did love it. That I I didn't love the I'll kick your butt to the Golden Gate Bridge. Like it wasn't it wasn't like threat of violence. No, I mean I because that's just a figure of speech. It wasn't like I was offended by the line. I just thought it sort of took away from the beauty of everything else he said. I'm like, oh, you don't need that. You need I dreamt you. <laughs> like you know, like right. I'm like God. I I just I didn't love that that line was in the same speech as something mm, so yeah. beautiful because I thought that is what's going to convince her not I'm going to kick your butt down <laughs> you know and then so I kind of just was like Ugh, don't love that part and I didn't remember that and I also kind of rolled my eyes a little at like you're a braver man <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got my blood in your veins you know I was like okay you know I mean but the second he gets to I Dreamed You and then names all the grandchildren, I loved that so much. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And I bought it. You know, I I, I don't... <laughs> Me too. I, he might just be making that up to get her to not do that again, but I don't think he is. I, I believe him. And it seems like kind of a weird thing to be dreaming about when you're in your 20s in Vietnam. Right. Like you're dreaming about your grandkids, and yet from him, I was like, yeah. Yeah. And he did say coming home, having a family, yeah. having grandkids. I'm like, okay, there were steps involved. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't like, I can't wait for 50 years to go by. You know, I think, <laughs> I think it was, yeah, I want a whole full life. And I'm sure if you're in the war and you're young, you want to picture yourself yeah. old and having- Because you might not make it. Yeah. Mortality is, I'm sure, just- constantly on your mind much more so than it normally would be at that age oh very good point yeah and also as good as he is i didn't cry watching it this time until amber really really cried may whitman and so (laughs) may whitman 
even though she almost said nothing in the scene, she was kind of the the deal breaker <laughs> for me. Yeah, it was so good. I did find a little interview with her about this scene. Ooh, fun. Jason led us with so much love and trust. He kind of put this group of people together and said, go, like, I trust you, I love you. And a big part of us is in there and a big part of our words and our, you know, and everybody's like, you cried so much. And I was like, yeah, I didn't mean to. I When you get in a room with Craig T. Nelson, who's like this open, walking, raw nerve of like love and who would cry at lunch tables telling you how much he loved you and stuff. I mean, you're going to cry. And he says something to you in the room that you didn't expect. I mean, we had scenes like the scene at the uh, junkyard where after Amber gets in a, her car accident, Craig, you know, the the whole scene was he's supposed to take her there and give her a speech about being careful and this and that. And Craig was like, after the rehearsal, he was like, I'm going to just say whatever I want, so be ready. And I was like, okay. And, like, you know, I get in there, and he had written and made up this whole speech about that I know was so much a part of him about how when he was in the war, he, you know, dreamt about his grandkids and that we were his dreams and I can't mess with his dreams. And I know that that a big part of that was from his own experience in real life. And it was so beautiful and powerful that I totally lost it. And so again, you know, that stuff is so present and so real and meant so much to us that I, I really feel like it's almost hard to watch because there's like so much stuff in there that it feels autobiographical. is really raw and really right. painful. And even the stuff that doesn't quite add up storyline wise, I, whatever it was, I, I know exactly what I was going through at the time. And I think luckily we were able to put stuff out there that at the very least you can know is very, very honest and connected for everyone involved. Well, that's fascinating. I didn't realize that that was largely written by him. Yeah. It makes me really curious to know what the written scene was. Yeah. Because if it was all improvised, what was the point of the scene in the script? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, unless he says that, we don't need to see any of that, I would right. think. I mean, unless it was a generic speech about, I love you when you're in danger, I'm scared. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Or... Is it just that he phrased it his own way or, yeah, or what true. percentage was written and what was improvised? And I, who knows? Wow. I mean, the result is gorgeous, but. Yeah, it was it was really good. And, you know, to, you used the phrase tough love earlier. And I think that is something I don't it's a really important part of love sometimes. And I don't know how tough love works with like autism, you know, I, I don't know how that works, but I, I do think sometimes perhaps Adam and Christina could be a little tougher, like with Max. I, I worry mm. sometimes that he might become spoiled, you know, like if you're trying to teach him empathy and you just give him all the whipped cream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think it's part of why I like Amber and Drew so much. I know that a lot of people say that Sarah is like a really dismissive mom or like, you know, permissive, I guess is the word, you know, just like too easy in a lot of ways, but they have had tough lives in a lot of ways. And even if Sarah couldn't have given this exact speech, you know, I, I, I think that they have been raised with a lot of toughness and a lot of tenderness. I think it's that combination that maybe makes them really just wonderful human beings. I just love them. And the fact that they're receptive to this too and and i you know i brought max up earlier and and i get that that's complicated and maybe he like literally couldn't have been receptive to a speech like that you know like so i don't i don't mean one size fits all by any means but i just 
I love that they seem to understand that this was a time for tough love. You know, Sarah had tried the, well, let's go get pasta. It's the only thing we can do. And that, that wasn't where Amber was. <laughs> she needed this and maybe needed some perspective. You didn't get into college. You're going to be okay. You almost died. You can't come back from that. You can come back from not getting into college, but this would have ended everything. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. So it wasn't enough for Amber to have a tearful scene with her grandpa. <laughs> she had to have a tearful scene with her mom, too. Hey, sweetie. Are you okay? I'm fine. Go in. Go back in. I'll be right there. It's nothing. I'm you feel okay? I'm fine. I'm just feeling emotional. What's the matter? I'm sorry about Funny. everything. I'm sorry that I put you through that. <laughs> and I love you, and I promise I'll be safe and smart. That's I all promise. I was worried about. That's all I was worried I'm about. I'm sorry. I'm so scared. I'm just looking at everybody here and thinking that I couldn't see him again, and I couldn't be here and see your play. Look what you did. There's people, and they love it. And I'm so proud of you. And you, you say you don't want me to be like you, but I, I want to be like this. This is amazing what you've done. I don't know whatever to hug you because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Oh, honey, thank you for telling me that. I was so worried about you. You know. I'm sorry. I'm so glad you're okay. Okay, I don't want to miss the ending, so I'm gonna go back in. Really? You want to go to the bathroom or something? No. I look great. <laughs> I think the I look great is my favorite part of the whole speech. Yeah. <laughs> that was genuinely hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I felt like the whole scene was kind of a hat on a hat. Like, we well, we already had her realizing mm -hmm. the severity of it. But I, I'm assuming they just wanted a moment between those two, not yeah. just Why wouldn't you? Grandpa. But then my favorite part of the scene was the end, how quickly their crying turned into laughing. It felt like a nice like pressure valve releasing the tension. Yeah. It felt authentic to them. It felt like it had to be the actors kind of cracking each other yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was my favorite part of it, sincerely. Yeah. Well, and I really loved her. I think I did like that she had a moment with everybody, the everybody she hurt the most, the same three people. That's true. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, when you played a clip earlier of Drew and Sarah both saying, you're, you're not getting it, you're not getting it. And so I kind of like that she has a scene telling each of them, like, I'm getting it now. And like the scene with Drew, which, you know, don't even need to like play it, but I just love that she was like, um, can we be friends again? Cause I don't like anyone else. You know? <laughs> I can so relate. <laughs> I loved that. I'm like, that's exactly why I love their dynamic They're, It's such an interesting choice that I don't know that I'd ever really seen on a show before. I feel like it's speaking of tropes. It's like such a trope to have like the siblings who hate each other. And they really have never done that with Amber and Drew. It's just mm -mm. a brother and a sister who are just super fond of each other. And I find it endlessly delightful, you know, like there, and it never goes too far or feels unrealistic or, or anything. It just, they just really like each other and they look out for each other and it's just sweet and nice and refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, this episode was dedicated to Bob Yanetti and Jimmy Diggs. I unfortunately couldn't find any information about a Jimmy Diggs with any connection to Parenthood. Okay. But Bob Yanetti was a first assistant director on Parenthood. 
And he had also directed episodes of Boston Public, which Jason Kadams worked on. His obituary said he died very suddenly, but it didn't give a cause. But he was only 57. Oh, wow. And he was survived by a wife of 30 years and two teenage daughters. Wow. And I think it was after the episode was already shot, but before it aired. So I think it was very, very sudden. Mm. The episode as a whole, I enjoyed it. It felt super stuffed to me. Yeah. They had a lot of stuff to get in. And so they didn't have a lot of time to dwell on any one thing. But it still, it was satisfying just to have all the storylines resolve. And it was all so well done. Yes, agreed with that. And and it has set up some things that I'm pretty excited about. Like, I'm not necessarily excited, like you said, about Adam and Christina having another kid. But I'm so glad Adam won't be at TNS Footwear anymore. Yes. Hosanna. <laughs> yeah. I will kind of miss Corey, but I won't, I won't miss the job. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then... I mean, I know what happens next with like Crosby and Jasmine, but we're no spoilers. So I'll just say this is an interesting note where at this moment, it really feels like it could go anywhere. So it'll be interesting to pick back up in the uh, season three, you know, premiere and just see where that is. Yeah. And to watch Joel and Julia Mm. embark on adoption. Yeah, that's really exciting. Or to watch Amber figure out what life is going to be if she's not going to college. Yeah. Maybe watch Sarah. Well, we already spoiled this. She doesn't really write. But... Uh, and also just like Hattie will be a senior in high school now. Yeah. Bet Hattie's going to college. Yeah. I feel like they didn't do a ton with Amber. I mean, it's it's they did, you know, like her taking the SATs and studying with Kelsey and, and all of that. But we didn't really see her in school that much. Right. I feel like we saw her in school more last year because of like, you know, Mark Sear and everything. But yeah, I mean, it was her senior year. And so I, I don't know what Hattie's senior year, what will that look like? You know, well. Did Mark come to the play? Uh, he should have. He really should have. He gave her that book. Yeah. He was sitting next to Steven Weber. Um, they, were, ah. <laughs> they were just in the background. <laughs> Well, this is the end of another season. Yeah. Did you have any season two thoughts as a whole? Did you have a favorite episode or a favorite storyline? That is such a good question that I should have been prepared for, but I'm not. (laughs) So why don't you go first and I will think on it as you are talking. It's funny that you thought I would be prepared. (laughs) But I wasn't totally, although I had considered it. Okay. Certainly the episode that, I think about when I think about season two is two seventeen. Mm-hmm. Do not sleep with your artistic, artistic. <laughs> Do not sleep okay. with your autistic nephew's therapist. Yeah, and that is a very consequential episode. I don't know if I would say it's my favorite, but I might. But it also felt like a little too easy. Like, well, yeah, I'm going to pick the one that I remember the most. Yeah. So I think if I had to say, aside from that episode, I might pick. Episode 211, which was damage control. Mm. I thought explaining death to Sydney was such a fantastic storyline. I thought Alex meeting Adam and Christina was really fascinating. 
Oh, it was also the storyline with Drew drinking and Sarah being oh, right. worried. That's a, th- this is an excellent one to pick, Caleb. That was a really interesting take on what could have been a after school special storyline. Yeah. So that that episode maybe was the most surprising to me. Like, oh, I rem- I remember this episode, but did I remember how much I liked it? I don't think I did. Yeah. It was also the one where Jabbar wasn't a perfect angel. It's the only one where like where Crosby had yeah. to discipline. That, yeah, that's a good pick. That was really excellent. But it doesn't have anything to do with Seth, who I thought was one of mm-hmm. the bright spots of season two. Yeah. That was a development that I welcomed and I thought that they did a good job introducing it. You know, maybe it's a silly one to pick because I might be picking it because Mark was our guest. <laughs> but I really did love Ama- 216, Amazing Andy and his wonderful world of bugs. Yeah, I don't know. There was something about these, like, you had this real sense of the calm before the storm, you know, and all the, yeah, yeah. all the, like, flirtation with Crosby and, and Gabby, which the whole time, yeah, we were like, no, don't do it. But it was deeply interesting and you did have Seth in that episode. Although now that I'm looking at my notes going back, I'm like, it's either that one or maybe the one right before where Rhea was our guest and we had really interesting conversations. Um, the just go, yeah. just go home. That was also really good. I, I think what I'm learning is I loved John Corbett and I really did think the conflict between Crosby and Jasmine was fascinating. And it started in, in that one with that dishwasher fight and then really kept intensifying in the next one. So maybe that was just like my favorite kind of arc, I guess, was, was that yeah. arc. Yeah. And also, we can't not mention Michael B. Jordan. Oh, my God. That was a highlight of season two. And it's not even a highlight because... He's now a big star and, you know, we saw him on this show. I remember even at the time thinking, oh, this Alex guy is great. Yeah. And not even just the actor, but just like just the character and the storylines that it led to. That really worked in season two for me. Very much so. In a way that like, you know, William Baldwin or Mike the Forklift guy did not. No. Yeah. If we were going to make like a best of, worst of. Worst of is almost everything at TNS footwear, um, <laughs> with perhaps the exception of Corey, who was kind of a damn delight. Sarah's dating just really was not interesting at all in season two, I feel like. I was super interested in the John Corbett thing, but not as a potential like love interest. I think it was really interesting right. yeah, to dig into her background. And then, of course, I liked the one episode that Jason Ritter was in. They always have that that magic, and I did enjoy that. So with Sarah, there's best of, worst of. I, I felt like season two took some time getting going. You know, like the first few episodes, I wasn't that into, and I kept thinking, I feel like season two is amazing. But And once it hit, it hit. It is kind of startling just to think about what was happening at the beginning of season two in some of the storylines and where they ended up. Like... At the beginning of season two, Crosby and Jasmine weren't even living in the same time zone. Mm. And then by the end of it, they had been engaged and he blew it all up and then failed to win her back, we think. Yeah. Like that was a tumultuous year in their lives. That's true. So much happened. That's that's a good point. You compare that to like Julia and Joel, where 
they decide to have a kid at the beginning of the season and then they decide to have a kid at the end of the season. Like they yeah. just, you know, they're kind of. And I like that yeah. variety that one was so tumultuous and then one was steadier. Yeah. Like we're trying and trying and trying and it's not happening. So we're going to try something else. Yeah. It's kind of cool. also in this episode, Julia mentioned that Hattie seemed so much older. Yeah. And when you think about what was Hattie doing at the beginning of this season, learning how to drive. Yeah. She does feel so much older now. Well, now she's in a committed, serious relationship. She's had sex. Mm -hmm. In so many ways, she just does seem more mature. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of a trope when people are like noticing how grown up someone looks right after they've had sex for the first time. But I'm okay with it because, yeah, I think mostly it's not just the fact that she's had sex. I think it's, yeah, like experiencing with him yeah experiencing yeah. love like a much deeper relationship than steve you know who cares about that guy like working at the food bank uh, you know and and yeah just, just having her eyes open a little bit yeah and to I, the world around her yeah i think she understands privilege now in a way that her parents definitely don't <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's really interesting I have a favorite scene that just kind of popped into my head. Go for it. I think the scene where Hattie tells Camille about Alex is maybe my favorite moment of the whole season. Yeah. I think that was just so supportive and kind and lovely. And I loved everything about it. It was just beautiful. Yeah. And I believe that is the same episode where Adam has the scene on the houseboat with Zeke. Oh, God, that's a good episode. Which is one of my favorite scenes, too. Wow. And it's so funny how we're coming down so hard on Adam for his temper in this episode, in this finale. He's not totally unaware of it, because that's what that whole scene is about. I'm angry all the time. Yeah. I can't go punching people in supermarkets. So... But it's very compelling to watch someone struggle against their very nature. Yeah. Like he's trying so hard not to be Zeke, but he is kind of Zeke anyway. And he can't stand that he is like Zeke, which just makes him angry. Yeah. Like Zeke is. <laughs> that's this feedback loop. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's it. That's and then good. he talks to Christina in the Zeke voice. <laughs> You know, if the boat is a rockin' is a great episode. I would just remember the name of it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a contender for best of the season, I think. That was wonderful. Did you have a favorite like relationship this season? I think Kelsey and the Tudor. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say Sarah and Gordon. <laughs> what was his name? Albert? Uh, Alfred? I, I I don't Zach? <laughs> It could have been anything. I do not remember. Arthur? I feel like it was an A. I, I can't remember. Are you going to look it up? No. <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. Let it go. Sometimes that's good. We got, yeah, we got to let it go. It wasn't stuff. my favorite relationship either. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think mine was Hattie. Oh, and yeah. Alex. My least favorite scene was, it was amazing how you say that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I think my f- least favorite scene might have been prom. <laughs> I think it was. Oh, I hate that word. <laughs> You're doing excellent, Gilliam T. Blount, as it turns out. Um, 
I was going to say the the Zeke and Camille with the port. I went up to your Portuguese pound cake and told him to stay away from what's mine. Jesus. Mm. Ugh. But then. And see, and yet that's a horrible thing to say, but I thought a great scene. It was a great scene. That's true. It was like maybe the moment I was angriest at Zeke. I borderline hated him in that episode. And then you're right. It's impossible to hate him forever. But man. Although you want to talk about borderline hate. I think that's got to be opening night. With Adam and Christina. Oh, God. When Lucy was our guest. Yeah. Oh, that was a rough episode for both of them. Really rough. This season was very hard for, for Adam and Christina. I mean, like, my feelings about them have changed, I think. Like, I, I am open to loving them <laughs> as as I did in my memory, <laughs> you know? But, man, it was a it was a really hard thing. And, and I'd like to say, but now everything's fine. It's not. He calls him a son of a bitch in this episode, you know, like, and just so disrespectfully wear a condom. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. So I'm like, it's not like they've moved on. He's still talking about him meanly and thinking race has nothing to do with it when I, I'm not so convinced that's true. And yeah. that's something that would totally get unpacked more if the show were on now, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that that was an interesting storyline that would be more so in now. But I think Hattie and Alex were my favorite couple of season two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I almost have a hard time answering because it's either couples that have been around yeah. since the beginning or it's like, well, your choices are Hattie and Alex or Sarah and Gordon. Ugh, it's not not going to be them. Gilliam and Zeke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, I mean, if... Camille and Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> if we had to pick, like, a favorite guest star, that would be really hard because I feel like it would be tough to choose between Michael B. Jordan and John Corbett for me. Like, I thought they were both so excellent. Or Jason Ritter. Or Jason Ritter. Although, Although his episode wasn't all that engrossing. Yeah, I mean, he's usually my favorite guest star, but I feel like season two is not really his biggest chance to shine. And yet he made me laugh, like in that opening scene where she's trying to take the play back and he's like, I know, I know everything I do is horrible. <laughs> you know, like right. just knows her so well. So it was still a damn delight to see him. But no, really... The John Corbett, and I still can't get over that John Corbett was only in three episodes this season. That's bonkers. Yeah, his impact has felt far beyond that. I'm glad they had a scene with Drew calling him about Amber being in the hospital. But then it made me wonder, well, what's he doing that's so important that he's not in this episode? That's the tricky part about like casting someone so great and having them loom so large. And then something major happens on the show and maybe John Corbett isn't available. How are you not mad at Seth then for not taking time out of his day to go visit his daughter? Anyway. Yeah. But least favorite guest star. Is that for sure William Baldwin? <laughs> I mean, is it just gotta be? Maybe. It's so hard to say for me at least, between the actor and the character. Yeah. Because, like, the same could be said, I think, for Richard Dreyfus. I do, too. But it's not, like, was Richard Dreyfus bad at playing that part? Brom! Yes. I think he maybe oh, was. Oh, well, maybe. I don't know that he was. It just was also not a great part, I don't think. You know what? That's true. And uh, now I feel like I need to apologize to Richard Dreyfus in case he ever listens to this podcast, which does seem not 
super likely, but maybe. And then he'd like <laughs> tune in and we're just like mocking the way he says prom. And he's like, I've won an Oscar. <laughs> like, <laughs> Step down, children. So yeah, I think it was just like you said, not a great part. And it was just sort of strange. And he was kind of written like a cartoon. And so maybe he was just going with it. I do think that Richard Dreyfuss is a really incredible actor. So I, I don't mean to offend, but. And also, I think I would chalk that up to a larger criticism I would have of the season, which is that by the end of it, it almost felt like there was too much going on yeah. for them to juggle all the balls. Because Gilliam almost seems like not a presence in the episodes that he's in. Yeah. It's like, here comes this guest star, this brand new character, and then he doesn't do hardly anything. And it just seems like, well, yeah, because Sarah had to be worried about Amber. Mm -hmm. And there just wasn't time for the play to even really be the focus of the episodes that were about the play. And then Adam had to be concerned about Hattie having sex, but also we had to buy that things reached a boiling point at work so that Corey could fire him. Yeah. And there were just all these things. And then by the end of it, they're like, well, we got to include all of them. So just put them all in the episode. Yeah. That's a good point. It felt kind of bloated by the end there. And, and like after episode two seventeen, it almost felt like, where does the season go? Mm -hmm. You just blew everything up. And then maybe there's some fallout and we're done. Right. But no, there was still, we had to start new stories and then get to the finish line. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. The middle stretch, though, I would say from like seven names to do not sleep with your autistic nephews. Well, I would include qualities and difficulties. Yeah, too. that was a pretty great episode. The middle like third of the season, I thought was chef's kiss. <laughs> chef's kiss. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like gangbusters. That's good. That was some good reflecting. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I'm glad we're still doing this, Caleb. Me too. And I'm excited for a new season. Me too. It's going to be really fun. Listeners, we hope you'll join us. Yeah. In season three. Bring a friend. Yeah, come on. <laughs> it's only 18 episodes this time. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Follow us on the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook. It's, it's Parenthood Pals. And you can find all of our information and all of our episodes and assorted goodies <laughs> at parenthoodpals.com. Please do. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Genuinely. Yeah. It means a lot to us. It really does. I just read a new review today and it, it made my whole day. <gasps> it was really lovely. And I, I don't even think someone we know wrote it. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> so well thank you folks yeah means a lot until next season <laughs> may god bless and keep you always and may your wishes all come three <laughs> it doesn't work as well. i'll just go and may your wishes all come true <laughs>